welcome back to another daily walk. Well, today I wanna to spend just a little bit of time talking about what Calvinism is not. And the reason I wanted to do this one is we did the video on Calvinism, I don't know, was it a month ago or so, identifying you know, the, the key points there. And what I wanted to mention here is I wanted to go into a little bit more about just some of the things it's not. So there's a lot of people that say, you know, there's ex-Calvinist ministries out there. And a lot of them weren't Calvinists to begin with to become ex-Calvinist. A lot of them were fatalists. They were, or maybe you might hear the term, hyper-Calvinists. Now, there's also a, a um, I like some of the old stuff. I'm not sure about the new stuff, but I really like some of the old stuff from Chip Ingram back in his Santa Cruz days. And he actually, he was a, a you know, very prominent pastor who also completely misunderstood this point where he talks about, he actually uses a, a line in one of his uh, sermons there, says, you know, some people take this to the extreme. They say five-point Calvinists or hyper-Calvinists. No, a five-point Calvinist and a hyper-Calvinist are two completely different things. And so that's why I wanted to clear that up. What is a hyper-Calvinist, which could very well be a fatalist, could very well be what you'd call a symmetrical predestinationist. All these weird little terms, and I want to talk about what some of these are because they, these are aberrations of the Calvinist teaching that when you get any time, and, and this is an observation that I've found, that when you have some type of following and people come in and follow behind you, sometimes they take what your teachings are and they take them to an extreme that you never took them to. And that seems to be what happened in some of the cases with Calvinism uh, and with Arminianism. Both John Calvin and Joseph Arminius, if you got them together, is it Joseph Arminius? Jacob Arminius, I think. Uh, whatever it is. Arminius. Um, the, the two theologians who are contemporaries, if you got them together, they would have agreed on nearly everything. And the disagreements would have been fairly minor things. It's kind of like I've told this story before, but it's worth bearing again. There was a time that I taught the youth group for a Chinese church. And so when I was teaching the youth group there, uh, because they wanted to have Americans teach it because they really wanted to assimilate their kids with the culture. Well, they had Friday night was is when that that church did their their like youth group and, and midweek Bible um, studies and things like that for the adults and stuff. And so it was a giant family ordeal. And I would take the kids in one group and the adults would go have their service and what we, they had a, a guy on Sunday who would teach the Sunday school stuff, but he wasn't available Fridays, and I was busy teaching Sunday school in my church on Sundays. And so I taught the Fridays, and this guy taught it. So the two of us completely agreed on nearly everything, very much like the Arminius versus the Calvin guy, where I came from the sovereignty of God in approaching theology. He came from the will of man in approaching theology. We both had very sound theology, and these kids were like, we got to get you two together. We want to see the fight. And so there was a special event. They had the uh, Chinese New Year, and uh, that was actually always hosted at our church. And so I went to that, and uh, he got off of whatever kept him from teaching the youth on Friday nights to attend that since it's a special event. And so the two of us were sitting down, and the kids were like probing all these different things. We're like, we agree, we agree, we agree. And this is the thing is that we can agree and come to the argument from different standpoints, different points of view. And that's one of the things we have to keep in mind. But 
you can take the teachings and go too far to the extreme, the opposite direction. So when you hold on to God's sovereignty so much that human being has absolutely no will at all in anything that they do, that is an aberration. That would be called hyper-Calvinism. That is where we get the concept of fatalism. So what is fatalism? Fatalism is when it doesn't matter what you do, God has preordained everything that you do. And that is not what Calvinism teaches. That's not sound theology. Because we have the ability to do different things. Where Calvinism and predestination hinges the choice of man and the choice of God is on the ability to accept salvation. In the, the Calvinist viewpoint, we cannot accept salvation. We're dead. We're already dead. Okay? But when you have this... When you have this aberration that says man can choose his salvation, there's where the problem is. But the hyper-Calvinist point says we have no choice at all. It doesn't matter if we pray. It doesn't matter if we evangelize. People are going to come or not come. It doesn't really matter. And that is a complete aberration. Because we are commanded to preach the gospel. Romans chapter 10. It tells us that we participate in the evangelism, that God's work will works in this way. This is why we have the general call where we are to go out and preach the gospel to all people and God will fertilize that, that gospel seed in the heart of his elect person. Now, I believe that prayer can impact when a person comes to salvation. I don't have a biblical viewpoint of that. That's just something that I have come to. I've examined it. I've never seen anything to the contrary, and so I'm going to hold on to it until somebody can disprove that to me. But a person would, uh, an elect person will come to a saving faith, okay? They might come to their saving faith on their deathbed. They might come to their saving faith at 15 years old, and those might be, you know, 60 years apart. But I think that the effective prayer, the, the fervent prayer of a uh, the fervent prayer of a dedicated person can accomplish much. That's a, a paraphrase from, from James 5. I don't have it right in front of me right now. Okay, so I believe that a person who is elect, whom you pray for, could have that seed fertilized sooner. They're still elect. This is why we have a great degree of participation in the gospel and in church life and in church faith as a Calvinist. Okay, let's also look at the concept what is called symmetrical predestination versus asymmetrical predestination. There's only one verse in this scripture which seems to suggest the symmetrical, and I think that it's a special case. By and large, Calvinism rejects asymmetrical predestination. What does this mean? Well, take the term symmetrical. What does it mean? It means the same on one side or the other. So what symmetrical predestination means is that God saves some people and makes them more godly, while at the same time hardening some people and making them less godly. Thereby, God participating in the evil of the reprobate person while participating in the grace of the elect person. That is an aberration of Calvinist doctrine. Now, the one verse that seems to suggest the contrary or the general concept is Pharaoh with Egypt. And I think that this is a special case because we don't see that type of function anywhere else. So what is the true doctrine surrounding this? It's asymmetrical because all of us by our very nature are bent on our sins. Now, some of us can choose one sin. Some of us can choose another sin. But ultimately, all of us choose our own sin. There's where our freedom of the will is. The choosing of our sins. 
We are all choosing our sins. We are born in Adam. We have original sin within us, which is the propensity to sin. We do not... Uh, we do not become sinners when we sin. We sin because we are sinners. By heart and by nature, we are wretched. We are sinners by our very nature, by our very design. That's what we are. There is no work in God in that. This is who we are. This is why predestination is called asymmetric. Means that God will actively work in the hearts of his elect to pull them and to draw them to God while at the same time he doesn't do anything in the hearts of a reprobate who will continue to do the things that is inside of their very hearts. That is the, what we're talking about here when we are going into hyper-Calvinism and things. So hyper-Calvinism is not fatalism. It doesn't imply that we have no role or no impact. It doesn't mean we can't preach the gospel, and it doesn't mean that God works evil in some hearts while working good in others. Those are some of the key aberrations that people have used to say, I'm not a Calvinist, this is why. Because none of those points are Calvinist teaching. Now, there's possibly some other interesting, more valid ideas that maybe we could dig into some of those a little bit later. Some, one of you did send me a list of uh, some Calvinist uh, or uh, ex-Calvinist people. I will be looking through, through those videos and examining uh, some of those viewpoints in, in, uh, in finer detail. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, when you're looking through the, the theology, this is what the scripture teaches. By and large, it had nothing to do with John Calvin. It had nothing to do with Arminius. Every one of the Calvinist doctrines were taught all the way back is, you know, back to the scriptural times. Every, every scripture. And as far as the, the extra biblical interpretation, all of the church fathers up until this time of the Council of Dort, after the time of John Calvin, these were the accepted truths. In fact, the five points of Calvinism were identified because of the heresies of not Arminius, but of Arminius's followers who took his teachings, which were more anthropocentric theological points and took them to an extreme that he himself never took them to. That's why we have the five points. It wasn't something that was just created, you know, a couple hundred years ago. That's not the case. But anyway, uh, that is hopefully clearing up some errors around what Calvinism is and what Calvinism is not. So thanks for coming along and help support the channel with the links in the description down below. Uh, keep an eye out. We have some more books coming out here pretty soon. Uh, well, one of them is a uh, secular science fiction book, so that'll be kind of fun. Uh, but we also have a life testimony book coming out soon, too. I'm about, I'd say I'm about maybe halfway, maybe a, a third to a halfway done writing it. So uh, more information on that coming up um, soon. So anyway, thanks for coming along and hope that you enjoy your daily walk in our Lord. Thank you for tuning in. Our Walk in Christ podcast is a listener-supported presentation. For more information about how you can help, check out ourwalkinchrist.com forward slash support or our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Tom M. That's T-O-M-M. Digital and paperback books are available on several online bookstores or at our website. Once again, the website is OurWalkInChrist.com.